This is episode 166 of A Pod of Their Own. I am Allison McCain, and I am joined this week by my lovely co-hosts, Linda Surovich. Hello, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Maggie Wigan. Hello, Maggie. Hi, Allison. So the Mets, uh, the last week of Mets baseball has been much as uh, 500 teams often are. And the Mets are a 500 team right now. They went 500. They swept the Phillies, got some really good mojo going, and then turned around and got swept by the Blue Jays over the weekend. 500 team behavior, I say. But it's that the- even Steven Seinfeld episode. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Writ large. But did the Mets sweep the Phillies or did Mark Canna sweep the Phillies? I mean, yeah, basically. I mean, Mark Canna was basically responsible for all the Mets offense in the Phillies <laughs> series. And but also he is still they pitched well on the team. Yes. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but they did pitch well. Um, actually this whole week, really like it's not, I mean, Kodai Senga had a terrible start yesterday as we record this on Monday, June 5th on the off day, um, between the Blue Jays series and the (laughs) Brave series, uh, that is coming. Um, Kodai Senga had a really rough start yesterday, but he had a really good start the time before that. Uh, where he basically was unhittable. Um, and it seems like this is just like the Kodai Senga experience. Um, he looks com- when he can control the ghost fork, he's untouchable. When he can't control the ghost fork, he walks too many dudes and he gets knocked out in like the third or fourth inning. Well, um, he looked so good in his last star. <laughs> I know. Um, and he, I mean, he doesn't. And so this was, I, I'm really worried about like, cause the, uh, on Sunday, when they pitched him, it was on regular rest. And it was the first time, I think, ever, or at least in a while this season, that they had pitched him on regular rest. They've been very judicious about giving Kodai Senga extra rest, um, much to my personal chagrin, because that has meant more David Peterson than I wanted. Um, but, you know, it was working. And we got more of him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was working and I'm worried that the Mets are going to internalize this as we can never pitch Kodai Senga on regular rest ever again. Um, but Kodai Senga himself said that this was, that his bad start was not because of less rest. Um, so I don't know. I hope that they will keep pitching him on regular rest because they need to do it. Uh, because they can't afford to give away games. Like he's going to have to do it eventually. So might as well keep it going yep um but other than that performance from sanga yesterday the starting rotation actually pitched very well this week um on the whole um it was just that the offense was not doing its thing outside of marcana um who was hot the entire week not just in the philly series uh Marcana needed to face the face the phillies and to uh and for pride months to, to start to get his season going it seems so He's hot right now. Everyone else. Welcome, not. Mark Canna the Mojo. Please stick around. Mark Canna summer has begun in earnest, and we're very excited about it. We just would like the rest of the lineup to catch up, please. <laughs> so, um, how many more bets did Tommy Pham buy himself uh, from um, Sunday? But did a, he? A fair Sorry. number, I think. <laughs> but then he also maybe he lost them with botching the defensive play. 
Yeah. So maybe DH over Vientos, who does not look good. Yeah, I think he might get some DH at bats. Or, like, you know, they'll do the usual thing where they, like, use the DH to give one of the other outfielders a pseudo day off um, and play fam in the outfield. I don't know. Um, but I think I that fam is, fam is the DH. Honestly. Fam is a kind of a fixture at this point, I think, even though up until like yesterday, he hadn't been playing that well, except in very short stretches. But I think we just have Tommy Fam at this point. I don't think that that's changing anytime soon unless they make a, some sort of major upgrade at the trading deadline. I mean, um, Linda, you mentioned Vientos, and I gotta say, if someone's going down, I would not mind if it was Mark Vientos. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not that, you know, I love the babies. Every one of the babies holds value to me. And yet, he definitely does not appear at this moment in time to be able to give the team the kind of help that... I mean, it's not... Nobody can give the team the kind of help that they need. No one person can. But Mark Fiantos is exceptionally not looking able to give that help and could probably use every day at bats someplace that's not here. I mean, yeah, he's looked overmatched um, and the Mets are back to getting not any production from the DH spot again <laughs> between Mark Vientos's struggle and Daniel Vogelbach's continued struggles. Although obviously Dan Vogelbach had the one big double um, in the Blue Jays. How many at-bats did he buy himself? That was yeah. so <laughs> That's another like, question. God, why did it have to be him? With one, <laughs> with that one double, it was like finally an extra base hit, but it was like his only hit that week. It literally was Dan Vogelbach's only hit that week. He walked twice well, also. But. And I mean, with the extra base hit, his slugging is like 300 right now. It's not. I am fully, I, I feel like, look, yes, the on-base percentage is nice, but also you need somebody who's going to move around the base pads and move others around the base pads. And for some reason that I don't understand, Vogelbach has lost the ability to do that. Yeah. And like, the problem is, is that like Vogelbach's game has always been an on-base guy, which has been fine when Francisco Alvarez has provided the power surge that the Mets have needed alongside Pete Alonso. But Francisco Alvarez took an 0 for 14 this week. Oof. And that's not good either. So, I mean, he did. I mean, he did enough before that when he was raging hot to save his job, which we'll get to in a minute. But, um, it's the the lack of power in the Mets lineup outside of Pete Alonso becomes blatantly obvious when Francisco Alvarez is not hitting, despite their four solo homers yesterday. <laughs> and that's another like so Betsy thing. Like they hit four home runs and lose a game. <laughs> yeah, because they're all solo homers because solo. no one else is getting on base. After um, games where if they had hit just one of those, well, I guess two, um, they might have been able to pull it off. Right, exactly. Um. Yeah, the Mets uh got sh- got shut out on Friday and then scored just one run on Saturday. Um, and guess who recapped both those games? <laughs> you did. Yes. Um. Uh-huh. Not good. Um. But, like they're not just bad. They're like, it's painful. Yeah. And Lindor is striking out like a lot in key spots. Um. And it's just it's not been good, especially this past week. Lindor's season has been very strange. In the sense that all season long, he's hit very well in high leverage spots. And and with the bases empty, he's like hitting like 100. Um, 
this week he's just been bad almost all around. He had the one home run. Um, what game was it? He hit the home run this week in one of the Phillies games. But other than that, his production has basically been non-existent, which the Mets can't really afford for him to be slumping and Alonso to be slumping and Alvarez to be slumping. You see and the pattern they... here? And Nimmo, too, has had his first bad week in ages. Um, this is not going well offensively for the Mets this week. Um, like I've never seen... They weren't just bad. They were uncompetitive at bats. Like, it just looked like they had never baseballed in their lives before. And, like, they're like, oh, bet. And, you know, Gary, Keith, and Ron are always like, oh, this, you know, this is great pitching. But why did this happen all the time? Yes, you have to give the pitcher credit sometimes. I get that. But it's literally the entire season that they're just sitting there. I don't know if it's the approach, like, I'm so mad at Nimmo. I'm sorry. I'm still mad at Nimmo. When Canna got on base, Alvarez reaches on base on an error, first and third, and Nimmo swings at the fair first pitch and pops up. Like, why? Why is that your approach? I don't understand. And then, of course, they didn't score that inning because then Lindor struck out, and then McNeil swings the first pitch and pops up. I don't understand. This might, like, was the approach against Bassett to be aggressive because it didn't work. So change it. Don't just stick with something that's clearly not working. Yeah, the the amount of pop-ups was just like a ridiculous amount. Um, And it's, yeah. It, I, like you're literally Brandon Nimmo. Walking is your thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Taking pitches is your thing. all the moments to decide to become a Frank Swinger, that yes. was... Not the one. That oh, I I'm so mad. I was heated. Oh, I'm still heated about it. It was the game right there. Because it would have been tied one to one if you had just gotten the runner home from third. Yeah. Yeah. And like Lindor is at the point where he's starting to hear booze again. And like Buck Showalter said that he considered resting him yesterday so that he could have two days off before the Brave series, but then decided not to because the Mets don't have a shortstop. Who's <laughs> Francisco Lindor? This Oops. is why not rostering Luis Guillorme is a problem, in my personal opinion. <laughs> um, this is why I thought I always thought optioning Guillorme was a bad idea. Um, and I think that they should send Vientos back down and bring Guillorme back. <laughs> Because Lindor needs needs a day off occasionally, especially when he's slumping like this. Um, and now they they basically can't do that because they don't have a defensively viable shortstop. Who like, is yeah, the backup shortstop? It's probably Escobar? Eduardo Escobar. Yeah. Oh, oof. Not good. <laughs> Watch out, Lindor. Not don't, good. Don't bust too hard to first on those I grounders, know. man. Well, I mean, if he actually gets hurt, then they bring back Yorme and he'd be the shortstop every day, which is no, not I'm just thinking about like want. about Escobar, even like for half a game. For half I a game. I don't want that. Right. And neither does Buck, and that's why he did that. But it's not good because, you know, yeah. guys need days off. Or um, in that situation, if Lindor gets hurt, would they bring Mauricio up? They might. But Mauricio has not been playing shortstop in the minors no. because because the Mets realize that they have their shortstop for the next decade and they need to be trying Mauricio at other positions. So Mauricio has been also, playing a lot of second, some outfield he also even. Got big, right, Mauricio? Yeah, like, he has. Sort of feel like he wasn't going to be able to stick there. No, yes, yeah, that was the general feeling. Is yeah. that he's I've, more of a second baseman? I saw him with the Cyclones when they played the Renegades, and he is massive. Oh, he's very large, like. 
I remember when I saw, yeah, I saw the Cyclones when they played the Bowie Bay Sox. And like, that was when Alvarez was still on the team too. So it was cool to get to watch them both. But like, I was Mauricio, so mad because I saw them All Star weekend. So Alvarez and Beatty were at the minor oh. league All Star game. So I only saw Mauricio. Um, Mauricio's just so much taller than everybody else. Yes. Like, everybody else. <laughs> like, he had a duck going into the dugout. Yeah. He's, he's huge. huge. He's huge. Um, so yeah, and maybe just, we get to see for ourselves soon because nobody else up here seems to be able to do anything. Yeah, it might it might happen at some point. I it, try it, sure, why not? Like send Vientos down and bring him up. Like just have like a rotating. It gives, them, it gives them more defensive utility because like he can be like a backup shortstop if they need it, and he can play second base and allow Jeff McNeil to play outfield. Vientos doesn't really allow them to do anything. He basically is like redundant to Escobar. And they have been less good in the field. Yeah. They put Mauricio in left. They like, I think they're trying him out in left now, but I think that was just a recent thing. Yeah. And that's like, just because the Mets are like, we have no outfielders. Um, they have no outfielders. They have no shortstop. No, but Canada's their backup first baseman. Yes. Um, one good thing that did happen is that Pete Alonso, speaking of first baseman, Pete Alonso did set the city field home run record yesterday. That was exciting. So that I was, was nice for him. That was a nice moment. And yeah. uh, he's obviously going to absolutely obliterate that record and probably hold it for like hopefully all time. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that's pretty cool. Um, well, and it probably just- would have happened sooner if it wasn't for the 2020 season. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He he like is knocking on all kinds of random records about home runs to start a career. Um, and all of them need the context of he had a hundred fewer games to do it than everybody else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is absolutely insane. Um I think he's already in the top five in all time home runs. Yes, yes, he is in franchise history. Yes. Jeez. That's that crazy. is just ridiculous. Um so uh, the other kind of frustrating thing um, that kind of co- that really cost them the game on Saturday, I thought, aside from the pop ups, <laughs> is that um, Buck made a decision that I think might actually be. I know we complain about his bullpen management and stuff and like he's made some head scratching decisions. But I think I think this is at least in my opinion, the worst decision he's made this season, like single decision he's made, which is that he pitched to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., with the go-ahead run in scoring position with uh, two outs with Kevin Biggio and his 66 OPS plus on deck. Inexcusable. To do I don't that. know. To me, that doesn't bother. To me, the offense still lost that game. Um, I mean, yes, the offense should have scored more. I runs. mean, I, <laughs> I was kind of tuned out, but was there an open base? Yeah, the run yes. was on second. Oh, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Buck, come on. That's See, so, that's. That's easy. It's still. Would you ask Edwin Diaz to walk somebody? I, I would you I ask probably, Edwin Diaz in that situation to walk? I mean, I might, I might ask him to do it, but I also like nobody is Edwin Diaz. But yeah, David like, Robertson's like, been just as good as Edwin Diaz, just not as flashy. Yeah, he doesn't. Mm. His he hasn't struck out quite as many guys as and he had mo too so i'm not as mad at that as some people are i still i'm I just curious at the offense for yeah, yeah. Offense i mean like you know the offense deserves 
their share of the blame for that loss but I was pretty pissed about that decision I didn't like it at all well like, I was complaining because I hadn't eaten dinner and I still needed to cook dinner I'm like just score so I can get this game over with because I'm <laughs> recapping and they scored so I was the only one who was happy that they scored <laughs> <laughs> and and then of course I mean obviously Kevin Biggio promptly struck out I think on three pitches maybe even I think and I, so. was like, I was like are you fucking kidding like uh. anyway i mean they they might have lost that game anyway but because it it still would have been even if he had gotten out of the inning it still would it still would have been tied um yeah but and the offense looked like they were they were done they, they were, were never scoring scoring again no they started so. their off day early yep yeah yep so like, i i early. i was totally fine with that because look, david robertson's been your best pitcher all year He's been having a fantastic year. You want your best going up against their best, and Buck showed faith in his guy. It just but if you could one choose, time, wouldn't, it didn't you work rather, out. wouldn't you rather have your best going up against their worst? Yeah, I would. I mean, is that that's what I sort of feel like the the choice is. But at the same time, like I don't know, there was the it's there's never only a just small handful of guys that you walk in that situation. And one of them is Vlad Guerrero Jr., in my opinion. Yeah. But it wasn't even that bad of a pitch. It, it was wasn't. Just, it, he actually yeah. did do a good piece of hitting. He turned on a pitch that was, yeah. Because he's he, Vlad Guerrero Jr. He, yeah. he tucked it like right he, in the line. Like it was almost dad. foul. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, is, it was partially good luck, but it was good hitting on his part. It, it wasn't. Was. It wasn't that... It wasn't that Robertson hung one to him or anything like that. But still, I was frustrated with by the principle of the thing. Well, it would have been more. It, I feel like yesterday's game was the was the most brutal in a lot of ways. Because yes. first of all, they did actually score some runs. Yeah, um, and they came back from a it, like they like every day they were at, in a deficit early, an immediate like four nothing deficit, and they they crawled all the way back like they kind of had been doing during that week when they rallied a bunch. Um, they crawled all the way back to tie the game, and then it was immediately a backbreaking home run yeah. to Brandon Belt. And then it had come off of it had come after um this the two like most pathetic, like unwatchably boring losses mm-hmm. yeah. in oh memory. And it was like, oh, they finally have some life in them, and they still lost anyway. And it was and then <laughs> and <it's done>. yeah. <laughs> it all would have been more digestible if if it the rest of the weekend hadn't looked to the way it looked. Yesterday, I didn't I, I didn't actually see the game. I was like loosely paying attention to it. But um, during the game, I was actually at the Nationals Phillies game in D.C. because um, I had some friends uh, visiting uh, Phillies fan friends and they wanted to go to the game. So we went. Um, and so I was watching the Phillies and the Nats have a mid off, which the which the Phillies kicked the Nats <laughs> ass, by the way. And I'm like, why can't the Mets do that? Like, just like kick fully kick the ass of an inferior team. They can't do it physically. And I mean, they do it to the Phillies. Yeah, they do. They but do. I mean, but that's the only one. They beat yeah. the Phillies when they're very good at beating the Phillies. But the Phillies, like, I think the final score is eleven to three or something. It was like it was a slug. It was like an absolute beatdown. And I was like, the Mets haven't done that to the Nats this year at all. <laughs> um, even the games they've won have not been like that. Um, well, they yeah, so, dropped two out of three to the Nats. Yep, two different times. <laughs> um, yep, sure have. So I was like, oh, must be nice. Must be nice to beat the Washington Nationals. Anyway, I was at that game. Um, and Michael and I were obviously like paying attention to the Mets game game on like game day and stuff. And, and and I think it was me who screamed, literally Brandon Belt. And my Phillies fan friend goes, 
I thought he retired. <laughs> I thought oh. he did too. <laughs> and I was like, nope, nope, still hitting home runs against the Mets, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I don't know. I just, I, it's nice that Marte's finally starting to, he had two hits yesterday. Yeah, besides Fam and Canna, he's like the only player who, uh, the only player in the lineup who had a good week offensively. And he's stealing bases too. Which, yes, yes, yeah, three bases, three despite, stolen bases this week. I think, despite the fact that MLB basically built the entire game out of stolen bases this season, the Mets have not seemed particularly interested in taking advantage of that. Really he early did. on, really early on, it looked like Brandon Nimmo was going to become a legit base stealer because yeah. he stole like a bunch of bases in the first two weeks of the season, and then just decided to stop doing that. Well, because they pointed out on the broadcast, he did that one stupid. Oh, right. Yeah. And then they said he's been gun shy ever since then. Man up. (laughs) Not (laughs) to use a patriarchal term. (laughs) You did the stupid thing. Now let it go and try again. Person up. (laughs) Well, I mean, and this is like, this is a place where Buck needs to step in and tell his players you need to run more and the first base coach needs to like actually be talking with them about that in game and like I don't know it just seems like there's just a general team-wide disinterest which is not what you want in the beginning of June Pete did Pete tried yeah he did um but yeah, but it's only Marte. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lindor is never on base to do it. I feel like he would. He's he's been stealing bases when he's gotten on base yeah, a, a fair amount. Not as not as much as Marte, but he's been doing it a little bit. But Brand, uh, Brandon Nimmo's the one who I'm like, "Come on, man." Like, yeah, dude. Courage, Brandon. You have the foot speed, my man. You can do it. I promise. It'll yeah. be okay. <laughs> Just don't do it. Pretend base. there's an anti-pride rally at second base. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Pretend it's the Capitol Dome. Run straight <laughs> at it. Um, <laughs> Pretend Mike Pence is without his bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> um, the biggest roster note uh, uh, of note lately that occurred uh, happened actually today. Um, which is that Omar Narvaez was activated from the injured list. We knew his return was imminent, and we were kind of like, oh, they're going to send Alvarez down. They can't do that. And then there was this big backlash against, you know, sending Alvarez down. The pitchers spoke anonymously, and in some cases not anonymously, Max Scherzer, um, to the media saying, like, they can't send him down. He's been great. Um and uh, they didn't send him down after all. I was worried because he went, like I said, he went 0 for 14 this week. And I was like, not good timing, Francisco. <laughs> um, but yes. No, they- I wonder if that was weighing on him, though. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Maybe he- maybe there'll be a little weight lifted off his shoulders. And uh, this week will be a better week for him. Uh, we need it. Brave think- series. <laughs> I think the anonymous quote was Max Scherzer. It feels like it was because it feels like it's a very similar like type of quote that he gave like publicly. <laughs> yeah, and like it, it it was unprompted too when he started praising Alvarez. So I have a feeling 
it was Scherzer. And I would Good. imagine Scherzer has a lot of pull, too. If I he's saying so. don't send him down, you do not send Francisco Alvarez down. Well, Good. what he was saying, too, I thought, I mean, it was it was so interesting. It was and I I can't even imagine how that has to feel to a player like Alvarez to hear someone with Scherzer's stature to be talking like, about his instincts as a player yeah that that is something that can't be taught which is a little like nudge down to like you he's not gonna get that in triple a yeah i mean i guess that that was really um that was just really nice to hear and it was really interesting you know he's always um scherzer's always someone who um brings a really uh different eye to things and talks about factors and like because i you know i'm thinking like oh his framing is good oh he's his arm is fine like he's hitting well and but scherzer sees it just on another level um and verbalizes that really well so that was yeah that was a really good that was a really good quote from scherzer and from like fake mustache scherzer one could <laughs> use him. Bobby Valentine Scherzer. Scherzer. Well, also in the beginning of the year, he was pushing for Alvarez to catch him, and then he got suspended. So then it took a while. Like yeah, and when yeah. he finally caught him, it was that Dodgers game that he got thrown out. Then he got suspended. So, but he was I, he was pushing for it. This was something he wanted, and to, you know, he was always supportive of Alvarez. There's probably also something appealing to a player like Scherzer about a young catcher who he can mold to a certain extent. Mm. Um, Basically calling his own game. Yeah. Which, which, you know what, that's a good, that's also a good experience for Alvarez too, because knowing Scherzer, I don't think he's doing it in a vacuum in a way that, you know, isn't going to result in, you know, learning and development for Alvarez. Like, you know, when you catch one of the greats doing his thing, like that's, there are lessons that you can draw from that for the rest of your career. I thought it was adorable when Scherzer went to him and (laughs) said, no, I'm actually better than this. Like he had to tell Alvarez, I'm really good. I promise. I promise I'm usually good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. Um, (laughs) And I mean, I feel like kind of the, like the last um, hurdle for Alvarez, so to speak, was that, you know, uh, Tomas Nito had been pretty much exclusively been catching Kodai Senga. And when he went on the injured list, Alvarez caught Kodai Senga and the world didn't end and everything was fine. So (laughs) seems like that's it's fine. He can catch Kodai Senga. He can catch anyone on the staff and it's been fine. So, um, yeah, I mean, like as as happy as I am with with Alvarez staying and he deserves to and he should this was the correct decision I'm still bummed like I'm sad about Tomas Nito like he's he seems like a good guy and he was like a he was a good met like I know that his his bat never he was never a good offensive player but he was a good catcher and he was a good met and I enjoyed having him on the team he seemed like a really good guy and his uh, his relationship with Luis Guillorme is like one of my favorite things like they're they're really fun and I'm just, I'm going to miss him, honestly, a lot. And he was one of the few Mets who was active on Twitter, too. The hashtag Bob is a classic. Hashtag Bob, (laughs) classic. So, so it was, you know, he never complained. Like, even when, you know, everybody knew Alvarez was going to take his playing time eventually. And he was supportive and never complained about it was you know the perfect backup for a while 
Yeah, yeah he was a consummate backup catcher who yeah. knew his role, who was always ready to go, knew the staff really well. He controlled the game, just, you know, really comfortable in his role. Um, and he he just got really bad. <laughs> yeah. Whether it was the eyesight or yeah. whatever it was. but it was, And it was just bad timing. I mean, I just feel like this whole, the way that this whole, like, catcher situation has played out for the Mets this year, like really brings into focus and we said it at the time that they're that the moves that they made were odd with the catcher with the catching position and I feel like it's only seemed worse with time like they they signed Omar Narvaez to this not not big big contract but like big for catcher um you know with the player option for next year and then they extended Tomas Nito and bought out his arbitration years and basically locked in these two catchers for the next year and and plus next season so for the next two years all while Francisco Alvarez was knocking down the door. I mean, it's it spoke of a team that didn't see Alvarez as the future, and Alvarez proved them wrong and created this logjam, which I think all of us kind of saw coming. <laughs> well, I also wonder if they thought that they would be able to get to the middle of the season and flip one of those guys, knowing that having extra years of control would bring them a better return. Little did um, they know that Tomas Nito's eyeballs would shrivel into raisins. <laughs> yes. Oh, now I can think about my own eyeballs as raisins, and that doesn't help. Um, uh, I keep was... having the same injury as various Mets players. I broke my foot the same year that um, Travis Darno did, so it oh. makes sense that my eyeballs are shriveling, just like not Tomas Nito's. That's not a synergy you think... want to have. No. I do think they will find a taker for him. Yes. I don't think it's going to be like a, a exciting return, but no, as bad as like I feel like Mets fans uh, inevitably either over or underrate their own players, and I think they all look at Nito and say like he is not a playable major leaguer. No team in their right minds would take him, but like every team needs a catcher. E- every team yeah. needs a catcher, a cheap catcher who has a history of solid defense. I I mean, there's there's a lot to like about that. Well, yeah. I forgot that he was a Gold Glove finalist. Yeah, he was. He was he's a very good defensive catcher. I mean, this year he struggled, obviously, but I think that was a lot because of the eye issue. Um, yeah. and so yeah, and the another interesting thing about uh, another interesting wrinkle about Nito that I didn't realize. Um. And someone pointed this out to me in the um, in the home run applesauce Discord, um, and this was from the uh, from the MLB trade rumors article about this uh, this roster move by the Mets. Um, it says Nito twenty nine inked to a two year deal to buy out his final two arbitration seasons this offseason. That contract guaranteed him a total of three point seven million. He's now just fifteen days shy of reaching five years of MLB service time. At which point he'd have been able to reject an outright assignment in favor of free agency while still. Still retaining the entirety of that guaranteed salary. However, because he'd fall, he he'll fall shy of five years of service if placed on outright outright waivers. He'd forfeit the remainder of that salary upon rejecting an assignment to the minors. So the timing of this is interesting because he's just short of five years of service. So if he rejects the assignment to the minors, then he will he won't get that remaining salary, which kind of really sucks for him. Yeah, I feel that. I, I like. I don't think it's one of those things that's 
just because of Narvaez's return. I don't think it's one of those things that is like intentionally manipulated. Yeah. But it is it is lousy. It's not something it I sucks. would put past the Mets to do, um, especially or any major league team, especially yeah. in the past. Um, but I do. I yeah, Maggie, I agree with you. I don't think that this is out of malice. It's just like really unfortunate timing. It's unfortunate timing for Narvaez's return uh, to for Nito to just fall short of the service time he needs to be able to recoup his full salary. Um, and it also sucks. Uh, the timing of his eye issue really sucks because I think that it basically sealed his fate through no fault of his own which is kind of sad um it is sad that the tomas nito era of mets baseball kind of ends this way um but it just is the way it is and it's the the decision that they had to make because carrying three catchers would have just been silly um well like i said this before um i didn't have a problem with them you know having a safety net for alvarez because you, you all prospects are unknowns until they prove it and he obviously proved it. But, you know, you didn't have to sign all the catchers. Like, first you gave Nito the extension. Then you signed Narvaez. So, you were they just never planning on calling Nito? Like, if they didn't get hurt, would Alvarez have even been up? Oh, no, I'm sure not. No. So, I just don't, it just... Alvarez, they kind of locked into him coming up at the big league level and succeeding. But, you know, yeah, it's just the whole thing. Again, it goes back to Billy Epler and all his, like, all his decisions need to be reversed. Like, first it was he traded for Darren Ruff, had a DFA Darren Ruff. Now you sign, you give Nito an extension. Now you're DFAing Nito. Like, it's yep. not really the best look for Billy Epler right now. I think I it mean, was, roster you... construction is not does not appear to be his strong suit. I it do look forward not. to finding out what his strong suit is. <laughs> Making the obvious moves. I mean, that's Max what I was going to say. That's what I was going <laughs> to say, Linda. It's it seems like it's like you said this recently on Twitter. I think like Epler is good at doing the obvious stuff, yeah. but not so good at doing the not obvious stuff. And it's easy to do the obvious stuff when you have Steve Cohen as your owner and you have the payroll that the Mets have. Like, yeah, go sign Justin Verlander. You don't need a genius for a GM to do, <laughs> to sign literally Justin Verlander uh, and like Max Scherzer. Like, you don't need, uh, you don't need uh, to be like, you know, have an IQ of like two ten to be able to do those <laughs> moves. But um, the smaller stuff, he has yet to distinguish himself. Um, well, that. somebody then when I did tweet that, somebody even said, "Yeah, look at the Angels. He did the obvious thing of getting Otani and, and extending Trout, but look yeah. at the rest of the team. Yeah, yeah, and they they don't have the you know the resources. The, they're willing to pay stars, but they're not willing to give out the like." Mark Cannon, Starling Marte type contracts that the Mets have done. So they're in a worse position even because they are truly stars and scrubs. Whereas the Mets at least have this also middle tier that are obvious moves, but they're not huge, huge deals. Um, And even the bullpen too, you can't have this rotating cast of negosics that just aren't getting the job done. I will I say that I need less Negosic in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Although he did pitch, I mean, he pitched three scoreless innings. In- he did. <laughs> or Dominic Leone, final pick Leone this time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't great. 
yeah, Leon had a pretty bad week. Um, but I mean, like, uh, in that regard, like the bullpen, like he did the obvious moves in that he signed Robertson and Ottavino, and that, and they've both been good. And you know, if Diaz was healthy, then this bullpen would be pretty strong, actually. But the and the problem is, I think, is not so much like the the picking of the guys, like, cause I think that they signed like a lot of depth in the bullpen. Like I was praising it in the off season, but I think that this is partially like a pitch organizational, like pitching development failure and like yeah. coaching failure, which does in the end, the buck stops with Epler because like, you know, all the, everyone works for him, right? All the player development staff, all the coaches, they all work for him ultimately. And like, there needs to be like a better, some like better organizational philosophy here with like developing pitchers because like, you know, they can't tout Drew Smith as their one like reliever they've developed in like the past decade. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I guess Seth Lugo counts for that. And now Seth Lugo's a starting pitcher with the Padres and thriving, by the way. I say maybe try out McGill in the bullpen. I think they should. When when Quintana yeah. comes back, I think they should. Yeah. Absolutely. I think they should see if he could be a reliever because, yeah, it seems by the third inning, he starts getting shelled. So have him just be a bridge guy. Yep, he's a he's a better pitcher than Tommy Hunter at this stage of Tommy Hunter's career and Steven Nagosik and like uh, the Jimmy Yakabonuses of the world, like all these guys that they've been cycling up and down. Like, yes, Tyler McGill is infinitely frustrating, but he is a better pitcher than any yeah. of those guys. Just overall on pure stuff. Yes. He so, probably I yeah. agree with that. He should be their long reliever when yeah. they don't have the Trevor Williams type as as a, I, I don't want to call it the Trevor Williams type anymore because screw that guy. Um, but, you know, he was he like was Darren important Oliver. to the Mets last year. <laughs> he was important to the Mets last year and they need they need that guy, that swing guy again. And I think McGill should be that guy. Yeah. Now, that seems like a pretty obvious move. So so we'll see. So they we'll won't do it. Billy Epler agrees. <laughs> yeah. Be a nice surprise. It'll be and really nice. Is throwing this week. He, He's throwing bullpens this week. He is throwing bullpens, and a rehab assignment could be soon. Obviously, he needs a lengthy one because he basically needs to do spring training again. So it'll still be a while before we see him. But the fact that he's even like throwing and like ramping up is like very encouraging. So that'll be just like a deadline acquisition. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um. So. Uh, we talked about the end of the Tomas Nito era and we can, and so speaking of the end of like eras and feeling nostalgic about things, um, Noah Syndergaard, uh, gave a pretty brutal quote the other day that made us sad about like the what if of the, of the young Mets rotation that could have been, um, and the quote was the following, I would give away my hypothetical firstborn to be the old me. That broke my heart a lot. <laughs> Mine too. Like, I know he like was hating on the Mets for no reason after he left, but I still have a special place in my heart for him just because, you know, he had that aura when he came up, you know, with the Thor and everything. And that's what you wanted. He wanted that confident, you know, arrogance on the mound that he and Harvey had. And to see now the complete opposite of that, like, it's got to be, as heartbreaking it is for us, it's got to be like bewildering for them that, you know, their body's just not doing what they knew it used to do. And how do you 
how do you cope with that? And I think like Noah Syndergaard is a stark reminder for every baseball fan and like everyone involved in baseball that Tommy John, Tommy John surgery is not a guarantee. It is not a guarantee that these guys return the same. Like, yes, there's been massive progress in this area and, you know, we're getting to the point where a lot of guys do return just as good as before, but it is not a guarantee at all. And Noah Syndergaard just has never been the same guy that he was. It's really sad. And I know we were going to shout out at some point the David Roth article about um, Syndergaard, but, you know, he also points out fairly that the Mets do not seem to have a particularly strong success rate when it comes to Tommy John compared to other teams dealing with similar pitchers. Um, And and Wheeler had a terrible recovery from Tommy John as a Met. He did. Although the thing is, so, you know, looking at the Mets kind of big four guys, sorry, Stephen Matz. um, (laughs) But I mean, it includes Stephen Matz in that too, because like the Mets ran him into the ground and made fun of him for being injured all the time. And now now he's a shell of who he was too. Well, because they was a watermelon and they got him pitch. Well, I just, I just have to wonder, maybe, just maybe throwing sliders at 94 miles an hour is not a sustainable way to build a pitching rotation. I mean, like, it's just, it just seems you can like throw upper lot- 90s sliders if you're Edwin Diaz and you're only right. doing it for one inning at a yeah. time. Exactly. But- and then, and you know, what really makes me think about it is like the only one of those guys who is still pitching well is Zach Wheeler. And he missed so much time. That is like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of 94 mile per hour sliders that he didn't throw and he also never really did i i checked i went back i was like am i remembering this right and no he did not throw his slider as hard as the rest of them he was not like pushing mid 90s on the slider he was like 90 91 which is still a pretty darn hard slider um i think a lot of our perspectives like our like baseball fans as a whole our perspectives are a little skewed by um just recent trends in pitching, but like 90 mile per hour slider is still really hard, but like it just, it just makes you wonder if they had taken a more thoughtful approach to pitching development, what that rotation could have looked like today, but no, they drove themselves into the ground. Yeah. I thought it was interesting too, because Gary, and um Keith, and I think Ron, I think he was there. Um, we're talking about this on a separate issue, how the Angels just called up a kid who once threw 105 miles per hour in college, and he was the first one to ever do that. And Keith said they fall too much in love with the radar gun. And he said if it was up to him, he would get rid of the radar gun. And he brought up how he had this conversation with DeGrom one time. Um, about DeGrom peaks at the radar gun when he's pitching. And he said, oh, oh, I threw a 95 mile per hour slider. I can throw it harder. And so it's like they put that in their mindset that I do have to throw harder. If, you know, if that's what the coach is telling you, that harder and faster is better, then they're going to listen. That's what they're just going to keep craving more, more, more. Like how, Oh, I got up to 95. Can I get up to 96? Cause that's just how athletes are. So to your point, Maggie, I think 
Yeah, it does have to come from an organizational standpoint and be more mindful of this, that what's the cost here now if you are forcing them to throw harder? And I think from like a prospect evaluation standpoint, I'm not an expert in this area, but I've heard people who are, who know a lot more than I do about this stuff, talk about it. Like they have kind of moved past like pure velocity as an, as an indicator of how good a pitcher is or like how good of a prospect a pitcher is because like this is like Hunter Green's problem, for example. Like he throws real hard, but it's real straight. <laughs> so guys can <laughs> still hit it. Um, you know, when when he's not when he's not doing well, that's why. And like, you know, he he was a flashy prospect because he threw a hundred. But like that's not always a guarantee of success. Your stuff has because to be really at this good. Point, at this point, major league hitters can hit a hundred because it's not I don't want to say it's not special anymore, but it's more common than it was like 10 years ago, like you only had a handful of pitchers throwing 100 miles an hour. So now major league hitters can catch up to it. So you still have to be smart about it. So, yeah, like you said, it's not the be all and end all. You're just throwing it straight down the middle of the plate all the time. Right. And I but mean, throwing it's... it straight can still mess up your arm. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, know, you got to take some. You got to. You gotta not be an idiot about it. I don't know. Or like it's not an idiot. They're just it's so short-sighted. And I guess that's just how the game is built, is short-sighted. Nobody's thinking about, you know, what's gonna happen to the best rotation ever five years down the line. Oh my god, that was not five years, that was eight years. Yeah. 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 Woo! Um, All right. Um, anyway, I don't agree with Keith. Get rid of the radar gun. Yeah, yeah maybe. I mean, like. And it's a, I mean, it's, it's a testament to, cause Noah Syndergaard was not one of those guys who like was only lighting up the radar gun and had nothing else to it. It's a testament to how good Syndergaard stuff actually was that it is this depleted and he is still in the major leagues. I mean, he's yeah. borderline not in the major leagues anymore. Like we're getting to the point where he might be done, but like the fact that he even made it this far with, with such diminished stuff just shows how good he was in the first place because most pitchers at uh, most pitchers uh, having that much of a percentage whatever docked off their stuff would have been long out of the major would have been long out of professional baseball by now but the well, fact then, that Syndergaard was so good to begin with means that he's still a borderline major leaguer even though he like his stuff is a shell of what it once was well then now you also have the flip side with DeGrom, whose stuff is still good, but he can't stay on the field. Yep, yep. DeGrom was transferred to the 60-day IL today. Oh. Which is yeah, just brutal. It's not good. Yeah, so you like you look at that rotation. You have Syndergaard, whose career might just very well be over. Um, Like, you know, his manager is not committing to him making his next start because he's been so bad. Um, you've got Jacob DeGrom, who's on the 60-day IL, has barely pitched this year. He's not been healthy. You've got Steven Matz, who's been bad and also not healthy. Um, and you've got Zach Wheeler, who's been pretty successful, but is still actually not pitching all that great this year. Um, but he's been by far the most successful of them all, as Maggie pointed out. Um, yeah. And had the least exposure to Dan Worthen. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there it is. Um, Sorry, Dan. Yeah. Like, I see it. Yeah. 
So yeah, if if you guys haven't already, you should read that David Roth article in Defector. It's a really good piece, like reflecting on kind of the sin- the fall of Noah Syndergaard and like that era of the Mets. And um, he always writes way better words than I could even imagine. So <laughs> anything David Roth writes that you should read it, but particularly this I mean, piece. I mean, they pitched with Bartolo Colon, who only threw ninety and was still getting it done. Like there are ways yep. to be a good pitcher. Sure. You just have to be smart about it. Absolutely. It's almost um, like that's not even their priority. Yeah. <laughs> almost like they are just living for that short term, that short term fix. Success. Yeah. How's that working out for them? Yeah. yeah but what do they care? None of these pitchers are on their team anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the other um, sort of wider baseball story we want to talk about this week um, is just to uh, wish everyone a very happy Pride Month. It is now June. Um, and Yay. we wanted to shout out sort of uh, the players who, especially in the aftermath of, you know, the, the Dodgers Pride Night and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and the players who have come out, you know, it, against the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and uh stating that they are very offended by it. Um, we wanted to shout out players uh, who have, uh, you know, publicly shown support of pride. Um, and the sad thing is, is that we can list them because there are so few of them. Um, and yeah, especially this year, I feel like it's going to be even more sadly controversial or like it's brave to do this in baseball now, which is like ugh, the worst. Um but obviously the most notable one for this Mets podcast is Mark Canna. No uh, surprise there. All he came again. ready too. He, he came ready on June 1st. He was wearing a t-shirt with with bananas on it that were rainbow colors that said we're all the shirt. same inside. So it was a beautiful shirt. And he just like put it right on his Instagram story. Happy pride. Like he was like out there and ready. First, been first awesome Mets to say this year. Yeah. This has been a good year for pride merch. Yes. Um, and it was just so good. Um, so yeah, we love we love Mark Hanna. We we know he's an ally. We love him so much. Um, and no surprise, uh, Mensch of the Week, Katya Lindor also posted on her Instagram story um a, a post supporting Pride. She shared a post from someone else, which was about like, you know, children's like literature, children's like uh LGBTQ plus uh literature. Um, and, you know, speaking out against banning these books, which people are trying to do. Um, so that was a very good uh, thing to see on Katya's Instagram. Again, and not as surprised. a children's librarian, too, that warms my heart. And I can also fully endorse all the titles that she endorsed. You were the first person I thought of. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, she put up Tango Makes Three. I love Tango Makes Three. It do is a know- classic. I was going to say, do you know what Tango Makes Three is? I don't. <laughs> well, I think go read it. It's about okay. the penguins in the, what was it? Was it the Central Park Zoo? Yeah. Yeah, it was two male penguins and they adopted another baby penguin. Oh my God, amazing. Yeah, and it's, it's, like, it's a true story, people. How can you ban this? It really happened. Yeah, like, come on. Um... Yeah, so that was that was really nice to see on Katya's Instagram story. Obviously, another one that's no surprise. Taiwan Walker um, made a post in support of Pride as well. 
Um, we know that he's last year, he was really good about supporting pride, went to the team store and gave out pride merch and it was just lovely. So we know that he's, he's good about that stuff too. And it hasn't changed now that he's on the Phillies. <laughs> um, love Ty. Miss love Ty. Ty. Yeah. Um, Julio Rodriguez, uh, notably tweeted his support. He was wearing a pride t-shirt, a fantastic pride t-shirt, by the way. Um, and yeah, so Julio Rodriguez, also a king. We love him. Um, just it's really cool that he's one of the faces of baseball. Like, I feel like he's like the most notable, like, player as far as like the most famous player, I guess, to post something, um, so far that we've seen. So that's that's really cool to see one of the like faces of the game tweet something. So that's nice. Um, kind of offsetting kind of Clayton Kershaw, one of the main faces of the game. Uh, tweeting something the opposite it was nice to see julio rodriguez out here um we also saw that the well, Mets. so that kind of shows the future of the game is yeah because Kershaw is the past at this point he's the old guard um and julio rodriguez is the um is the future of the game so that makes me feel a little hopeful that the future is in good hands yeah agree with that i mean it should i think like part of I think part of why there's so much reactionary anti-pride, anti-trans, anti-everything is because, like, the sea is changing. Yeah. Um, And so they are fighting it every step of the way because they know that the the younger generation is not going to reflexively oppose these differences. Um, So they're trying to make it really hard. and they might actually succeed. So, yeah. Although it was hopeful, it was a good sign that Bass got booed in Toronto when yeah, he got bored. That was in. great. Yes, that was definitely. And along those same lines, I just saw a tweet that says Anthony Bass has an 18 ERA during Pride Month this year because he just got lit up by the Astros. <laughs> I will note also um, on a similar note that uh, the game I was present for over the weekend, uh, the Nationals Phillies game, um, Trevor Williams got his tits lit. (laughs) Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) Pride Month not starting out well for uh, for the homophobes. We absolutely love to see it. (laughs) so yeah, uh, the the Mets, in addition to Mark Canna being a king, the Mets uh, w- are flying pride flags at the ballpark at City Field, and Sophia Cohen was seen wearing a pride hat at City Field, so that was good to see too. Um, that it goes all the way up to the top, we love it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like Mets. So me- the actual Mets Pride Night is June sixteenth, um, and I feel like uh, we-, we we may learn some things. <laughs> Uh, about uh, where certain players stand. We already know that. I'm sure Brooks Raley is going to show his whole ass oh. and we'll have to talk about it on this podcast. But I hope that there's no one else that we have to talk about on this podcast in a similar fashion. Well, didn't Brandon Nimmo wear something that was kind of like neutral the last time they did it? I think he did. I don't remember what it was exactly. Yeah. It was like I have come to appreciate Brandon Nimmo and his ability to keep his mouth shut. Brandon Nimmo yeah. not saying a single goddamn thing. Yeah. <laughs> good job, I Brandon. I support that. Keep yes. up this good work. <laughs> like, I just support if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything don't at say all. Didn't you teach you that? 
Isn't that a Christian value? <laughs> yeah, isn't that a Christian <laughs> value? So look at me. I'm keeping my mouth shut right now. <laughs> Amen. Now that's about as long as I've got. Yeah. Um, and then uh I didn't want to like completely ignore this one, uh, but it requires a more nuanced touch when we discuss it. Um, another player who has tweeted his support of Pride is Marcus Stroman. Um, and you know, it's it's hard because he's very good on some issues on, you know, r- racism in baseball on, you know, on being pro LGBTQ. Like he, he is, he has been on the record in the past. This is not his first go round with being, with being like vocally in support of pride. Um, and, and like, he's other- one of the few was actually putting his money where the mouth, his mouth is too. Yes. yes. And donating money to, uh, to activist causes. So like, you know, these are good things, obviously, but it's worth pointing out that I feel like because he does these other good things, people are willing to give him a free pass and turn the other cheek about his anti-Semitism and his questionable, potentially vaccine uh, beliefs and things like that because he supported these other quote unquote liberal causes. Um, and no, I don't care about him celebrating on the mound against the Mets. That's not why I'm bringing this up. I don't give a shit about that. People who are mad at him about those things are being racist. (laughs) Um, Even Pete said he didn't care. And like, and fueling and fueling the narrative that he is like, that is like absolutely true that he puts forth that says like the media is biased against black players. And he's right about that. And so it's very frustrating that like, he's right about these things, but then he, you know, always takes it like, many steps too far um and so yeah i just don't think that just because he did this good thing that we should excuse that we should turn the other cheek about the bad things he's done which is you know be like kyrie irving and kanye west adjacent basically yeah um so yeah that one's that one was that i've i i I don't know i just will forever have complicated feelings about marcus Stroman, and i can't really and we should have complicated feelings about complicated things like that's all right People and it's all right to, multitudes and it's all right to focus our positive feelings on players who are not as complicated yeah that's yeah. also fine yeah um so we will we will continue to shout out publicly um throughout the month players who have um shown their support for pride we will continue to do that and hopefully the mets will uh but on june 16th there will be more mets to besides mark cannot to say good things about and hopefully <laughs> not any besides brooks really to say bad things about um guys come on there's gotta be at least one other one <laughs> don't let us down i i really would like lindor to say something since his wife yeah. clearly believes and i don't i i i tend to think that his beliefs probably align with hers on this. Um, It's just that, like, his agent, the league, someone probably told him not to say anything. Um, I think that I think that there are like, don't get me wrong. It's not the majority. (laughs) I think Trevor Williams represents the average uh, Major League Baseball player, probably. Um, But I think that there are lots of really conservative sports. Yeah, it is. But I think that there are, you know, a sizable number, not the majority, but a sizable minority of players who, you know, agree with Julio Rodriguez, who agree with Mark Canna, but are too afraid to say so. And that's a problem 
with the current environment of the league that guys who should be allies are too afraid to be outspoken about it. That's an issue. And a lot of it is is kind of a, a reflection of larger baseball culture. Yes. Putting a really, really high value on kind of status and veteran position and just letting that particular, um, you know, quality really dictate where someone is in the pecking order in the clubhouse. Um, so you're not going to talk up against Clayton Kershaw because that's just not done. Um, but it, at a certain point, like we're not, you know, this is not about like who gets to pick the music. This is like people's lives and rights and well-being. So, you know, come on, Julio Rodriguez, keep it going. Yeah. Um, And I will say, you know, the at least the, there are some players who are being courageous about this, um, namely uh, White Sox minor leaguer Anderson Kamas, who we talked about um, on the podcast when he first came out. Um, he spoke to the media for the first time since coming out. Um, so I, we will link that story um, in the show notes and tweets and such. Um, you should read it. But at least like he is being pu- very public about it. Um, and I think that that's helpful. Obviously, he's not a major leaguer, but he it's still a story that was on MLB.com. You know, like like every like ba- the baseball world is has seen it and heard it. So hopefully that is sort of a counterweight to a lot of this like public backlash to pride that we're seeing in baseball um so hopefully things continue to trend in that direction not the other direction we'll see what happens well we also know liam Hendricks is also um he said he wouldn't sign with a team that wouldn't have a pride night so i remember that yeah we talked about that at the time which was really awesome yeah so liam Hendricks is noted good dude Bless Liam Hendricks in every way. Please trade for him, Mets. Please. Yeah. Absolutely begging. That'd be great. We can Um, offer one slightly used Thomas Nito. (laughs) (laughs) Please. Also, um, Vinny, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Pasquantino. Pasquantino. Vinny Pasquantino. Yeah. Yeah. He was also very supportive of Anderson when he came out. Um, he retweeted it and said, happy for you, be you. Yay. That's great. Nice. Yeah. We love Need more of that. Yeah. So at least there's some major leaguers who are being a little more vocal um, and supportive, but it is still a long way to go. Um, And one more thing I forgot to put in the notes that I want to mention in this sort of like pride segment um, is Far be it for me to only yell about the Dodgers for fumbling pride. Uh, There are plenty of other teams who uh, will fumble pride in various ways. And it turns out that the Washington Nationals on their pride night are having Nancy Pelosi throw out the first pitch. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) And I'm like, listen. Nancy Pelosi has done, I'm not like, I, I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty p- uh, politics here. I'm a federal employee, so I can't really talk about specific politicians anyway. I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nancy Pelosi has done, you know, work, has done activism in this area, but she's not a member of the community. <laughs> so 
I have a story that this reminds me a lot of. No joke. I had a Black History Month up and display up uh, at work. Um, you know, highlighting Black authors, activists, you know. And a woman came up to me and said, I should have Abraham Lincoln on the display because he freed the slaves. Ooh, oh, boy. What? And then she said, and then I gave her a nasty look and I was nasty to her. And she goes, oh, I love coming into this library. The librarians are so nice. (laughs) Three guesses as to this woman's race and the first two don't count. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. D.C. is a big city. (laughs) There are a lot of folks who have done lots of great work. (laughs) I can I can make some calls. I even know a couple of the gays. Um. Yeah, and I'm sure they would be willing to help out by throwing a baseball. It it's such an unforced error. You don't have. Yeah. To. There's like, so much LGBTQ you, activism happening in this city, and you who is chose the person Nancy that Pelosi. came up with Nancy Pelosi? <laughs> but, but it's it, Maggie. That's the most fucking national thing that they could have done. This is like <laughs> I mean, what that like, franchise is like. There's like. Couldn't you ever throw out the first Pete. pitch during women's Pete history? Booty Judge season? could throw out the first pitch. Did they already get him last year? That, that might <laughs> actually explain it. Um, like, like the Nationals are the most like, like girl boss Ruth Conda forever franchise oh. in the entire world. Like they are like, which is they also are cringe. That's they their whole the thing. Most, they, I, I mean, this is several years old, but there was a. It was and. The methods not optimal, but it was like a cross. It was like a, a cross comparison based on I want to say public Facebook profiles of sports rooting affiliations and political beliefs, and the Nationals were like by a hearty margin the most left leaning fan base. That doesn't surprise it, me at all because DC is an extremely left city, but yet the like the like Nationals brand is very very like like corporate the other part, government like that part of DC. Yes. Yeah. Like it's they like, think that they're the Capitol Hill DC and everyone else is like no you're the city DC. Exactly. Like the like it's basically like the hill staffers run their PR. Like that's yeah. what, that's what it's like. And th- that's how you get Nancy Pelosi throwing out the first pitch at the at, at Pride Night. <laughs> anyway, the booing is going to be really rough yeah. yeah it's not worth it nancy just and i'm not saying like it. i would i would not boo nancy pelosi in this context i might boo her in other contexts um <laughs> the national fans like, have absolutely booed other politicians at nats park before someone is definitely going like there's definitely going to be some booing did they ever booed like any of the presidents throwing out the first pitch oh yes <laughs> yes they have <laughs> has they any sure president have. ever not gotten booed Probably Bush after 9-11, but that's oh, it. Oh, man, that's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. That would get you in Guantanamo right quick. <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. As a, as a, as a DC, uh, as a DC citizen, I, uh, I was like, ugh, God, ugh. really? You better, Please. y'all. Anyway. Um, we will end the show this week like we always do with walk-off wins where each of us talks about something that is making us happy this week, baseball related or otherwise Maggie Wigan. What is your walk-off win for this week? 
<gasps> okay, I guess I have to do this. No. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> so this walk-off win is in the interest of finding the joy in this moment when we are saying goodbye to Shay, the trainee dog who has been a part of the Mets team for a year now, over a year. Um, and he's, you know, he was part of the um, Dogs for Veterans program. Um, and he has finished his first stage of training, which I guess that is where they train you to, like, meet thousands and thousands of people. Like and just play with them all all the time. I think that's be in right. crowds without a- losing your yeah, shit. No, I mean yeah. that, I guess that is a big part of it. But um, and he's he's Shay is moving on to the next stage of his training and will eventually have his job. Um, you know, being a service dog for somebody. And whew, I I don't think I fully realized that Shay was going to someday leave until they announced that he was. I was like, wait a second. I thought he was one of those rejected <laughs> those rejected service dogs who ends up being just like the best pet in the world. But no, he is like legit going to be a service dog. And he has just been just the loveliest presence around City Field. I met him last year on my birthday and his his trainer gave me Shay's business card and Shay kind of chewed it up a little bit. <laughs> um, he thought it might be a second treat and it wasn't. And I just like that to me is one of my prize Mets possessions is like a slightly chewed Shay business card. And he was just the sweetest dog and, um, and just brought joy everywhere. And, um, and I'm so proud of him. He got so big and he, he is did. going to do such good work. Um, yeah, it was just a really it's it's sad because like I'm never gonna see him again. <laughs> but at the same time, like, man, how lucky were we to get a whole year plus with Shay, just the handsomest, best doggo in the whole wide world. Like, couldn't he be all of our service dogs? Like when the Mets are winning, like I need a snuggle a puppy. I mean, like when the Mets are getting blown out ten to one, snuggling a puppy makes me feel better. Yeah, that's yeah. valuable service. In it my is. Opinion. Like I, I mean, the-, the one time I pet Shay, it healed something deep inside me that I did not know was broken. Yeah, because um, that was on Maggie's birthday because you went to the was. bathroom and this Shay. I know I went to the bathroom and I I came back and I like ran after him because I was like, no, I must pet the dog. (laughs) And we're like, no, he's down there. He went that way. He went that way. I literally (laughs) ran. I'm not kidding. I ran. Um, But then wasn't he standing like right near our seats anyway? Yeah, he was. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I did get to pet him. And I'm a changed person for it. I do hope not that anyone will ever replace Shay. I do hope that they get another team dog because, you know, that's just a nice vibe to bring um, and a nice way to promote the program, which is a really good one. Yeah. Um, and I'll also add like Shay's social media team. I don't know if it's the Mets social media team, but they are excellent. They're super like uh, connected and they are very like, um, you know, engaged and funny. And, you know, so I, I don't know if Shay is going to continue having a social media presence, but if he does, everyone should, uh, should follow. Um, but I do hope that, that there is a, eventually when we've all healed, um, that there is another, another team dog just 
spreading the joy around because Mets fans could really use some joy. Exactly. The videos of um the videos that they would post on social media of Shea playing with various Mets players gave me life. Yes. Well, a few years ago, I feel like the Rangers are the ones who first started this because they adopted Ranger. And um, then, like, after they adopted Ranger, like, every other team in hockey decided they needed a therapy pup. So then now every team in hockey has a therapy pup. But the Rangers never got another one while everybody else did. Like, I follow a couple of them on social media. And then when they say, oh, this pup left, now we're adopting this one. So... Other pups keep coming and the Rangers never got a new one. So I hope the Mets don't fall into that same cycle where like Shay was it. Like this should just be more. I think do the Pirates have a pup too now? I think they do. Yeah. The Phillies have one. Yeah. They're like there's a couple now who have pups. The Phillies one is a black lab, I think. I think the Pirates one is a black lab too. Yeah. So more pops. pops. Like Maggie said, like we need time to heal. We need to, you know, let Shay go. And when the time is right, give us another good pupper to snuggle when we're sad. (laughs) Strong agree. Linda Cervich, what is your walk-off win for this week? Well, my walk-off win was I got a nice raise at work, finally. Yeah! Um, Money! Yeah, so June 1st, it it kicked in, so of course I immediately went shopping, but, um, so I was, like, Cher Horowitz, like, the gift with her in the bag, she's like, ooh, I wonder if they have that my size. Um, but yeah, we were one of the lowest paid libraries in Westchester, so now we had, we really had a fight um to finally you know because we kept losing good folks you know if you don't pay people you're going to keep losing like we trained all these people and then they would leave and go get a job in another library would benefit from you know all the work we put into training well and the lowest paid librarian like that's a bad that's that's not the highest bar to start with no absolutely not like there are other like you know we're part of their new york state retirement system we're civil service protected so there are like other good things but it's not exactly like you know we entered the profession for the money but i would still like to make a living wage and be able to pay all my bills but now i am doing that and a little bit more so uh feels good especially now with um Student loans maybe kicking in again, but we're not going to talk about that. Not on um, walk off wins. No, not on walk off wins. Mm-hmm. No. So and also and not on like, not on recording. I'll talk to you later about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I'm also you know planning my trip to Paris. So having a little extra money, la la, for that would also be really nice. So my this first paycheck obviously wasn't really that different because it was only two days worth of pay at the new rate but in two weeks i get to see what my new paycheck looks like and i'll knowing me i'll just put it in my savings account and never touch it again because i'm (laughs) i'm a saver um and like i said i need to save my money for a big trip coming up but no it's it's uh it was worth the fight for all the and sticking it out and, you know, doing all the extra work. So we've had a lot of people leave and it's been really stressful. So now it's nice knowing that people actually value me. It makes a big difference um, um, to actually, you know, people wanting to invest in you and wanting you to stay and fighting for you. So it was nice. Um, and so I'm happy. And um, 
Yeah, maybe I can afford Mets tickets now too, because <laughs> I have not been to a game yet this year. And uh, which that is, bread. Yeah, which is weird for me. So yeah, um, drinks are on me the next time we're at City Field. <laughs> yeah. Um. So my walk off win for this week um, is that over the weekend um, I went to um, my tenth college reunion. Um, it was the uh, it was the University of Delaware Alumni Weekend, um, and my friends and I like are really intense about Alumni Weekend, and we go every single year. But we haven't gone since 2019 uh, because you know it was canceled uh, for COVID. And then um, last year in 2022, um, one of uh, one of my college friends, it was her wedding. So like all of us were at her wedding. And so we couldn't go to alumni weekend because it conflicted with her wedding. So this year was the first year that we've gone since 2019. Um, and it also happened to be our 10th year reunion because I graduated in 2013. Um, so it was just like so fun to be back. Um, and it's like I look forward to it all year, every year. Um, it's like all my friends get together, like people, some, some people I see frequently, but some people I don't see all that often. Um, sometimes it's like the only time that year I'll see some folks. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was just a fantastic weekend. We had a great, we had a great time at the 10th, uh, reunion ceremony. Um, and we had a great time at, uh, at Delibration, which is the big like thing that all the alumni go to together, not just the 10th year. Um, and the Honors College has a reception as well. And so that was really, really nice. It was great. Um, yeah, I, it was just no, no notes. Fantastic weekend. Love my people. Love University of Delaware. Um, so yeah, that's my walk-off win. Oh, wait, can we also throw in another walk-off win of seeing David Wright again? Oh, Yes. And- and him looking happy and healthy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> David Wright looks good. We yeah, love to does. see it. We yeah. love our captain, don't we, folks? Yeah. Any like any like little treat of David Wright, I will take any time. Yeah. Little glimpse of David Wright in, in the wild. It's we'll a little it. boost of serotonin that gets you through the day. <laughs> Indeed. Um so that does it for the show this week. Um, you can find all of our fantastic pods at homerunapplesauce.com. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash homerunapplesauce. You can follow Home Run Applesauce on Twitter and Instagram at hrapplesauce. You can follow this show on Twitter at a pod of their own. You can email the show own at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, same handle, at own. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Saravich. And you, Maggie? At Maggie162. Please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, just search Home Run Applesauce in your favorite podcast app of choice, and you should be able to find us and subscribe right there. I encourage you to leave a review of the show. It really helps people find it. The original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no time in college.